Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. My family and I have been attending Beacon for a few years, and we love how the pastors reason through the scriptures every Sunday. We love the fellowship, the kids' classes, the singing, and oh, the cafe is great. So if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. For the summer, we'll only have two services, one at 9.30 and one at 11.30 a.m. We're located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name's Trevor. I'm one of the, the pastors here at Beacon. So glad you guys are here today. Uh, I'm so glad that we went to two services because isn't this fun getting cozy with people? Uh, <laughs> so uh, if you are, are just joining with us, we've, uh, we've been in this series this summer where we're looking at uh, who we are as a church and who we want to be as a church and our, our core values and our, our mission, vision, all of that uh, as a, a church. And, uh, and, and it's fun to kind of just think through not only who we want to be as a church, but who we want to be as, as followers of Jesus. And I, I grew up in a church that wasn't too, too different than Beacon. I grew up up in the, the Hudson Valley. And I remember when I was a teenager, uh, we had this, this famous apologist come to my church. And I don't know if you know what an apologist is, but an apologist is somebody who defends the faith using empirical data and reason and logic. Uh, and, and this guy was a big deal, like internationally known, written several books. And so it was a really big deal that he was coming to our, our little church for this regional conference. And part of our responsibilities for hosting him was to also drive him to and from his, uh, his hotel and wherever he needed to go. We kind of had to chauffeur him. And uh, I'm not sure how the decision was made or what the thought process was behind it, but for some reason, I was chosen, 17-year-old Trevor was chosen to be the driver for this world-famous apologist. Uh, and I, I think it was because uh, at, at the time, I drove the Big Blue Beast, which was this, this Chevy Astro van. Do you guys remember Chevy Astro vans? It's like, it's like not quite a conversion van, but it's bigger than a minivan. And this one was nice. It had like bucket seats and like plush leather seating and like blinds in the windows and everything. And this guy, he had an entourage. So he needed a big vehicle to take him back and forth. And, uh, and they picked me to, to drive him. And so I was really excited to be able to have this FaceTime with this guy. And I was really looking forward to it. And, uh, and he comes and I get to meet him. I get to spend some time with him. And guess what? He was a, just a jerk. <laughs> he, he was just really unpleasant uh, the whole time. He was just kind of a, a grouch. And, and I know what you're thinking. No, it wasn't because of my driving. I know. <laughs> Robert, Robert likes to make fun of my driving, but whatever he says, I am a good driver, all right? We just have different criteria for what makes a good driver. For me, I think what makes a good driver is getting from point A to point B as quickly as possible without hurting anyone, inconveniencing other drivers, or getting pulled over by the cops. So uh, what, what's not on my list is how comfortable the ride is for the passengers. Uh, or, so, so I would agree. I'm, a, I'm not a great chauffeur, but I am an excellent driver. If you ever need like a getaway driver, just call me up. Uh, but no, I, I, it wasn't because it wasn't of my driving. I was not in like race car mode. Also, it wasn't just with me. Like with everyone, he was just kind of a grouch uh, this whole time. And he would get up on stage and he would talk about Jesus and he'd talk about the resurrection. And I loved everything he had to say. But I walked away from the experience and I'm like, ah, 
I, I don't even know if I want that, that kind of Christianity. I walked away, and, and for years, I was very turned off to apologetics in general because I'm like, if that's the, the result of this kind of Christianity, I don't even want a part of it. Because he was just, he was such a grouch. And I imagine you guys have met unpleasant Christians in your, your life at some point in time. Uh, and it really does beg the question, what is the appropriate attitude for a follower of Jesus? What is the, the appropriate disposition? We've been kind of talking about our core values the last few weeks. And Chris, a couple weeks ago, he talked about the warrior soul and how there's this, this part of like barbarian grit that we have where we're just fighters, but it's also equally part of this kind of craftsman precision expertise. We are, we are trying to adopt this warrior soul. And last week, Robert talked about having generous hearts that because of the nature of God, that God is love, we wanna be sacrificially loving. And you can be a, a warrior and be a jerk. <laughs> you can't be loving and be a jerk. If you're loving, uh, you know, that, that kind of rules out the whole jerk thing, but you could still be somber and kind of down and, and depressed all the time. Uh, the question is, what is the appropriate attitude for a Christian? And if I had to sum it up in one word, it would just be joy. Joy, that is the appropriate attitude for a Christian. And uh, this is something, Jesus tells this, this mini parable. It's not even a parable. It's just like this mini word picture he gives us of what it's like to find, stumble upon the kingdom of God. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold everything he had and bought a field. And this is kind of the picture that Jesus gives us of what it's like to, to stumble upon him, that we find this treasure that with joy, not out of obligation, not with his burden, with joy, we come and, and we pursue him. Not, not as like curmudgeons. And isn't that such a great word, curmudgeon? Like even if you don't know, if you've never heard that word, if you don't even speak English, you know what a curmudgeon is just from the, the word itself. Like there's no place for curmudgeonliness. I don't know if that's a word uh, in the Christian faith because it, it, it should be this joy. And it turns out that joy plays an extremely prominent role in the scriptures all throughout. Uh, some of you might be familiar with John Piper. John Piper, he's written extensively on the, the place and the prominence of joy in the, the scriptures and in the Christian faith. He's written uh, many books about it, but two that I highly recommend. So if you want the, like, the really thorough version, Desiring God by John Piper. If you want the less thorough, easy to read version, The Dangerous Duty of Delight by John Piper. Uh, uh, so much of what I know about Christian joy, I've learned from John Piper. He's amazing. Uh, and, and he's just rich in the scriptural knowledge. But one of the things he points out is that the, the experience of joy isn't just uh, a hope or an expectation, but it's actually a command in the scripture. And you go all the way back to Deuteronomy, and it talks about the Israelites in Deuteronomy 28. It says, because you did not serve the Lord your God joyfully and gladly, you will serve the enemies the Lord sends against you. It wasn't just that they didn't serve him, it's that they didn't serve him joyfully and gladly. There was this expectation of joy. The psalmists talk about joy all the time. Here's a few examples. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, who is my joy and my delight. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Or worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Then you get to Jesus, and Jesus says things like, blessed are you when people insult you. And he actually tells them, 
the, the disciples. He says, rejoice and be glad. Like when people are insulting you, is that your response? Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. He says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you. You know, he's talking to his disciples. And he says, guys, I want you to bear fruit. I want you to abide in me. He says, I'm telling you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And then, of course, what was the attitude with which Jesus went to the cross? Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And Peter talks about it, and John talks about it, and James, they all talk about it in their letters. And then you get to Paul. Paul talks about it more than anyone. He says, he describes himself as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And he says that he, his work, he says he works with joy, works with you for your joy. That his whole ministry was trying to bring joy to these people. And then you get to Philippians, and he gives this command. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. That's, that's a tough command, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. Like, not sometimes, not when it feels good. He's actually, there's this expectation to rejoice in the Lord all the time. Like, your, your constant disposition is just joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. How do you even do that? And what I want to do is I want to take a couple of minutes to look at the, the beginning of Philippians. Before he says rejoice in the Lord always, I want to look at chapter 1. If you have a Bible and you want to go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, what we're going to see uh, in, in chapter 1 of Philippians is we're, going to, we're actually going to see the source of Paul's joy. That Paul himself actually has figured out how to rejoice in the Lord always, but there's a source. There's something that brings this joy out in him. But we're also going to see a byproduct, an interesting but important byproduct of his joy. Beginning in uh, verse 12, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, what has happened to him? He says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So the thing that's happened to him that is good, he's saying, is that he's been arrested and he's now imprisoned in the palace. And he says, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy or in rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And he says, and because of this, I rejoice. He says, yes, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. So that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. And here we get to the culmination of his source of joy. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will, I will continue with all of you for your progress and your joy in the faith. 
so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. For him, to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, for Paul, his highest joy is in Jesus. Jesus is the source of his joy. So much so that he, he can really say honestly, to live is Christ. Everything good about life for Paul is Jesus. And he says to die is gain, right? Uh, but how does that make sense? What is the gain? When you, you skip ahead into verse 23, it says, I desire to depart and be with Christ. The reason that dying is gain is because it's more Jesus, <laughs> For Paul, he's saying, my whole life, the source of my joy is the experience of the presence and the power and the love of Jesus Christ. And nobody can take that away from him. You know, he's writing this while he's in prison. You guys, just keep that in mind. Like, he's not like on a cruise somewhere enjoying all the luxuries of life. Everything's been stripped away from him. And he's rejoicing and he's saying, my joy is found in Christ. Nobody can take that away from me. And guess what? If they take my life, that's even better because I'm going to have more experience of Jesus' presence and power and love in my life. He's just enamored with Jesus. Jesus is his highest joy. And he says, nobody can take that away from him. Because you have to remember, Paul is the same one who wrote that nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Paul knows this. And he delights and he rejoices in this. Jesus is highest joy. But it actually, it actually goes a little bit further. Jesus isn't only his highest joy. Jesus is actually his only joy. It's kind of a, a strange idea. And I, I want to unpack it for a second. But later on in Philippians 3, Paul says something. He says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. That's like rubbish. In, in like the old King James, it actually translates it dung, right? So we could even, I think, say, he's saying, I consider them crap that I may gain Christ. All of these other things, not that they're bad things, but if they, they take him, his attention off of Jesus, he's actually losing out. Because he's saying that the most joy he can get in life is from Jesus. And there's a, there's a connection between joy and desire. Have you guys heard this quote? It's a, an old quote from Dale Carnegie uh, that says, success is getting what you want. Happiness is wanting what you get. Have you guys heard this before? Well, there's a, a research group at Texas Tech that decided to put this to the test, and they did some research. And they actually found out that both, thing, both sides of that are true, that getting what you want makes people happy. Also, wanting what you get and wanting more of what you get makes people happy. And, and the, the connection there is that want See, when we desire something and we get it, or what we have is something that we desire, that actually produces happiness in us. And for Paul, the thing that he wants, the thing that he desires more than anything is to experience the presence and power and love of Jesus Christ in his life. And he gets it more and more, increasingly, as he goes throughout his life. Not, you know, it's not detracted from by being in prison or being shipwrecked or being you know, whipped, it actually increases. So more and more, the more people try to take it away, to take away his joy, he's actually getting more of Jesus, more of what he wants. And he's finding joy in that, that everything else that detracts from it, everything that pulls his attention off of that would be a loss. John Calvin, he says, 
uh, it will not suffice to simply hold that there is one whom all ought to honor and adore unless we are also persuaded that he is the fountain of every good and that we must seek nothing elsewhere than in him. Nay, unless they establish their complete happiness in him, they will never give themselves truly and sincerely to him. What Paul has done is he's found his complete happiness in Jesus, and he starts to recognize that every other good, every other good in this world is actually, it, it flows out of Jesus. He is the fountain of joy. And so it's not that Paul you know, can't enjoy anything else because Jesus is his only joy. It's that everything else aids in his enjoyment of Jesus. C.S. Lewis captures it really well. He says, I've tried to make every pleasure into a channel of adoration. I don't mean simply by giving thanks for it. One must, of course, give thanks, but I mean something different. How shall I put it? Gratitude exclaims very properly, how good of God to give me this. Adoration says, what must be the quality of that being whose far off and momentary coruscations are like this? One's mind runs back up the sunbeam to the sun. So this is the idea. Imagine, imagine you like are watching this amazing sunset, right? And it's just, you know, your, your mind is being blown at just the, the beauty of this sunset. Lindsay and I, we live up in Seacliff, up on the North Shore. If you've never been to Seacliff, come visit. It's just the coolest place. Uh, and we'll host you. We don't have a lot of room, so don't all come at once. Uh, but... <laughs> But because it's up on the North Shore, we're like when the sun sets over the sound, it just lights up the water, and we get these amazing sunsets that we get to you know go down to the beach and watch so often. You know, especially in the summertime, we love it. But imagine watching this gorgeous sunset, and, and there, there's two options. You can say, "Man, that's beautiful," and find your joy in the sunset. Or what C.S. Lewis is talking about, he's saying, "You look at the sunset." And, and yes, you thank God, recognizing it comes from me. You're like, God, thank you for giving me this experience. But he goes one step farther and he says, what must be the character of God? Like how beautiful and majestic must this God be that he thought this up? And now imagine doing that with every joy that you experience. That, you know, you have that moment of joy in a relationship with like, you know, uh, a romantic partner or, or even with your kids. And you have this, this really intimate, beautiful moment and you enjoy it. But instead of saying, man, this is so good, I'm going to have this be my enjoyment. And you say, man, I thank God for this, but also, oh my goodness, what must be the character of God that he would think up? These sorts of relationships, that, that he would be so loving and relational, that, that this would even be an experience. And, and all of these other joys, rather than detracting from Jesus, actually aid in our enjoyment of him. So more and more, we get more joy in Jesus. This is where Paul is when he's able to say, I consider everything else crap in comparison to knowing Jesus. Because all delights, all delights point to Jesus. Every last one of them. And there's this, this really fascinating byproduct of Paul's joy. So go back up to uh, verse 17. Paul's talking about some people preaching out of goodwill and some people preaching out of ill will. Uh, but look what he says. He says, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely. Now think about that for a moment. The former so the people that are kind of, you know, not preaching Christ out of goodwill, he says, they're, they're not taking Jesus seriously, right? They're insincere 
And the result is the, this selfish ambition, right? And there's, there's a relationship, okay, a relationship between how seriously they take Jesus and how seriously they take themselves, right? The less sincere, the less serious they are about Jesus, the more serious they are about themselves. And it leads to this selfish ambition and envy and rivalry. But then you have Paul on the flip side, all right? And, and don't miss this. Look what it says. They're preaching Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Paul's already in prison. People are out there preaching Jesus insincerely so they could stir up more trouble for him while he's in prison. And look at his response. But what does it matter? <laughs> what does it matter? No big deal. That is not how I would respond to this situation, right? If somebody was stirring up trouble for me after I was already wrongly imprisoned, I would be, I'd be pretty upset. I'd be offended. I'd probably get on Facebook and have some irate post about like, can you believe these people are doing this? And Paul's sitting here and he's saying, what does it matter? Because he, he takes Jesus so seriously. He's so sincere about Jesus. He finds so much joy in Jesus that he doesn't have to take himself very seriously. And it's not just apathy, right? It's not just apathy. It's not that he just doesn't care. He says, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And it says, and because of this, I rejoice. Paul is rejoicing in the midst of this situation because he takes Jesus so seriously. And he finds so much joy it's this, this weird thing that the more seriously he takes Jesus, the less seriously he takes himself. And it's out of this, this understanding of the joy that we have in Jesus and the sincerity with which we take Jesus that we, we derive today's core value. Today's core value is uh, that we want to have a fun, loving attitude. We want to have this warrior soul. We want to have generous hearts we want to do stuff. We know Jesus is coming back. We want to keep the gospel at the center of everything that we do. Uh, and yet with all of this, the, the disposition and the attitude, we want to have this fun-loving attitude, not just for the sake of fun, but, but because we, we're actually joyful. And, and here's how it reads. It says, we are a welcoming, come-as-you-are, and fun-loving team. At Beacon, we like to enjoy life, and we take great joy in our mission of taking the love of Christ to our neighbors. But don't let our casual vibe mislead you. Though we try not to take ourselves too seriously, we do take God very seriously. And, and I think that last line could even read, because we take God and Jesus so seriously, we don't take ourselves that seriously. And this is our, our mantra kind of for this core value. Don't take yourself so seriously. <laughs> We, we don't have to. See, the more seriously we take Jesus, the more joy we find in him, we, we don't have to take ourselves so seriously. We don't have to be easily offended or insulted by all these things. But the good side of it, we could also just have fun, right? Like, we should be happy. We have this amazing treasure. We could have smiles on our faces. We can, we can kind of joke with one another. I, uh, one of my favorite comedians came out with a Netflix special recently called Thank God for Jokes. Uh, and it wasn't his best work, but I love the title. Thank God for Jokes. Like, really, thank God for jokes. Because he's kind of the founder of these things. It's not like he created the world and we created jokes and laughter. Uh, God... Even Jesus, even Jesus is funny. Uh, we might not realize that because we have these like presuppositions or these ideas about Jesus being kind of like the somber, sad man, man of sorrows. But he's like 
funny. Elton Trueblood, he wrote a book like 50 years ago called The Humor of Jesus, but he says the widespread failure to recognize and appreciate the humor of Christ is one of the most amazing aspects of the era named for him. Anyone who reads the synoptic gospels with a relative freedom from presuppositions might be expected to see that Christ laughed and that he expected others to laugh. But our capacity to miss this aspect of his life is phenomenal. We are so sure that he was always deadly serious that we're often, we often twist his words in order to try and make them conform to our preconceived mold. A misguided piety has made us fear that acceptance of his obvious wit and humor would somehow be mildly blasphemous or sacrilegious, right? Like you're thinking about Jesus or, you know, laughing at some of the stuff that he says, it feels like it might be sacrilegious, but he said things that were like kind of ridiculous, like intentionally, like he was kind of sarcastic and witty. Uh, you know, like he, he talks about people having like this giant plank in their eye while they're trying to like pick a speck out of somebody's eye. Like that, that, that's silly. Like he, he talks about people like sifting a gnat out of a cup, right, while they're guzzling down a camel. Like it, it's ridiculous. Like he's, he's trying to be funny, but we read these things and it's like, thou must also wash the inside of the cup and not the outside of the cup. Amen. Uh, but really, like, it, it was more like, <laughs> it, it was more like, hey, guys, you know, no, no, that's great. Keep cleaning the outside of the cup. You realize that you drink from the inside, right? Like, you're being ridiculous right now. Like, he was funny and he was sarcastic. And, and Jesus was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. You know how you get a, a, that reputation? Now, he wasn't. He wasn't a, a glutton or a drunkard. But you know how you get that reputation? By going to parties and having a good time and having a drink and, and being joyful, he had this fun-loving attitude, and, and we can as well. We want to have fun on this mission because we have all the joy in the world. Uh, a couple months ago, Chris and I went to an apologetics workshop in the city, and this is probably the second apologetics workshop I've ever been to because I was so turned off by the first one, but this one was so different. It was a, a group of people. They were all British. I don't know if that matters for the story, but they were. Uh, but the content, the content was amazing, but they were so fun. And like funny, like not just because they made jokes, but they were constantly making fun of each other. Like the whole time, they were just ripping on one another and making all of these jokes about everybody. Uh, but you could tell it was like, it was fun. They loved one another. But the other thing that was so interesting about them is they, they talked about a wide variety of subjects and, and how to make sense of all of these different things in light of uh, you know, the, the scriptures and everything. And you know, they, they're talking about secularism and they're talking about like the transgender issue and they're talking about oppression of women in the Bible and they're talking about the, the authority of scripture, like all these different things. But every single topic, every single thing that they talked about, they could not help but coming back to Jesus in the gospel. It was like there's this magnet that was constantly drawing them back to Jesus no matter what they were talking about. And, and you could tell that the joy and the happiness and even the levity that they had about themselves was rooted in how much they just loved Jesus, how much joy they found in him. You know, we want to be this kind of place where we, we're just fun to be around not because we don't take things seriously, because we take one thing, one person, so, so seriously. And we're actually finding our joy in him. And so that means we don't want you to just be a grouch. <laughs> uh, like if you're, you're dead set on just kind of being 
a curmudgeon, you are more than welcome here. You just might not enjoy it. Uh, and we'll call you out on it. But, but even more than that, we want you to find your joy not just in you know, being lighthearted. We want you to find your joy in Jesus. And, and so the, the question I have for you, do you know Jesus like this? Do you know Jesus like Paul does? Do you, do you see him in this way that the more you know him, that you actually derive pleasure and joy and satisfaction from knowing him, that it's like boiling up, that even when bad things happen, you could say, yeah, I'm sorrowful, but I am still rejoicing because I have Jesus and I just love him. Do you know him in this way? And to be honest, I don't. Uh, not all the time. Not, not, like, not to the degree that Paul does. But, but it's something I'm growing in. It's something like I can, I can honestly say I know Jesus more and I derive so much more pleasure from my relationship with Jesus now than I ever have in my entire life. It's more than it was a year ago. It's light years ahead of where it was 10 years ago. And, and that gives me hope that what Paul has, what he's talking about, it's possible. You can grow in this joy in Jesus by growing in your knowledge of him. That the more you come to know him, the more you seek him, you'll find that he is this treasure, this treasure that you will, you will go with joy and abandon all else to find him. It's true. And so I just want to encourage you. Yes, put a smile on your face. Be happy. But man, seek this Jesus who provides this unbelievable joy. It is so so good. I, I, I'm experiencing it more and more. I, I found this treasure, and I just I, I want to tell you guys, come, come with me. Come with us as we seek this out. We're going to do everything we can as a church to support you in that journey, but the onus really does fall on you. Are you going to seek him out? Because there's so much joy to be found in him. I'm going to invite the band to come up, uh, and, and as I do, uh, we're going to, uh, I'm going to pray over you guys. Uh, but before that, I just, as we worship together, we're going to sing a couple more songs. And I want to encourage you to do something that maybe you never thought of doing uh, in a worship service. I want you to have fun. <laughs> like, like, we have something to celebrate. We have joy. Sing off key. Sing loud. Don't take yourself too seriously. I don't, I don't mean don't take him seriously. Take him seriously, but just have fun. Like, this is, this is good. We get to celebrate Jesus, and there is so much to celebrate there. So let me, let me just pray for you. Father, we, uh, we love you, and we, we long to come to know you and to know your son in this way that, that this joy is, is bubbling over. That no matter what comes our way, that nothing can take this joy because what we desire most is Jesus and what we are getting is Jesus. God, let that be true of all of us. Let us not uh, go around with, with fake smiles or artificial joy, but a, a true, sincere joy, a happiness. A happiness that's just flowing from you where everything else just aids in that joy, God, that we can, we can have fun in light of you. We thank you for all these things, and we just we praise you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.